Probably most people have Isaiah 9, 6 memorized. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But let's go deeper in what was being said by this prophet, 700 B.C., by going back to 1100 B.C. to the book of Judges, chapter 13. We read about another special birth, and we're told this. A man named Zorah had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren, but you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. Miracle births were common in the Old Testament because they were foreshadowings of what Isaiah was speaking about. You go back to Genesis at the fall, Adam and Eve were told that one would be born who would reverse that fall, deliver people from the curse, sin, and death, and the devil. In fact, Genesis 4.1, we're told Eve bore Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She thought that Cain was the promised one. She quickly realized that was not true as he was a sinful and violent man. Romans 4 reminds us Abraham considered his own body dead since he was a hundred and considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. And of course, they were told they would have a child, though they were saying, how could that be? He gave birth, she gave birth to Isaac and Isaac himself, they thought was the promised one, but of course he himself was not. Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. You must listen to him. Moses had a special birth protected from the the Pharaoh who was trying to destroy his life. Jesus in a similar fashion would be born and protected from Herod who wanted to take his life. But Moses, what did he say? There's another who will come. Listen to him. 1 Samuel, another special birth. Hannah made this vow, Lord of heaven, look upon my sorrow, answer my prayer, give me a son, and I will give him back to you. He'll be yours his entire life. And the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. We're told she named him Samuel. Each of these are foreshadowings of the greater fulfillment that would take place in the birth of Christ. We're going to come back to that story in Judges and find out who that special child was that was promised here in just a moment. It's important to stop, though, and consider something that Dr. Bob Moorhead said so well. We have taller buildings but shorter tempers. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences yet less time. More degrees but less sense. More knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get angry too quickly, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too seldom, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We've multiplied our possessions, but reduced our value. We fly in faster planes to arrive quicker, to do less, and return sooner. We sign more contracts only to realize fewer profits. We talk too much, love too seldom, lie too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. It was to the same cry that you read in Acts chapter 8. The eunuch was reading Isaiah, and when Philip passed him by, he said, Please tell me, who does this man speak, of himself or someone else? 
You see, we live in a culture where many people, most people believe in Jesus. Many believe in his divinity. Many believe that he is the promised Messiah. But many stop and say, but in my own life, how does that make a difference? Is he really the someone else? The one who is bigger than my fear, bigger than my sin, bigger than my doubts. Can he really fulfill the deepest needs of my heart? Does he really provide all that I hope and dream and the promise that Isaiah spoke about? Isaiah, in chapter 6, had one of the most beautiful proclamations in all of history. And he's describing something that's hard to put into language, though he does it spectacularly. When he says this, And the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. They called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Later on in the first century, the Apostle John would be walking with Jesus and watching his ministry. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would write down the things that he was witness to. And in John 12, he writes, Jesus performed so many signs in their presence to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Notice what John says, verse 41 Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Who did John talk about? The living Christ. Who did Isaiah talk about? He saw Christ long before that first century. He proclaimed, I saw him high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And around him swirled angels proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And all our hopes and dreams. The proclamation is yes. He is that someone else. Wherever you find yourself today. Whatever you find yourself in life and brokenness and sin. Holy, holy, holy. But we're not done yet. We need to find out who they were talking about when we see here in the book of Judges. Malcolm Muggeridge was a journalist who wrote this before he died in 1990. I may, I suppose, regard myself as a successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Internal Revenue Service. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care, may partake of friendly diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself It represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. 
Yet I say to you and beg you to believe. Multiply these tiny triumphs by millions. Add them all together. They are nothing. Less than nothing. Measured against one drop of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Again, Judges 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Of whom are we talking about? Well, the person being spoken of was Samson. Samson, of course, born with this supernatural strength to deliver his people. Popular character in Scripture. A lot of movies made about his life. But he had tremendous feet of clay. Recalls to mind the words of Arthur Pink, who said the best of men are but men at best. Almost a hundred years ago, Pink said no matter how richly gifted they may be, how eminent in God's service, how greatly honored and used of Him, let God's sustaining power be withdrawn from them for a moment, and you quickly see they are earthen vessels. Perfection is found in heaven, but nowhere on earth except in the perfect man. So no disrespect to Samson, but just like everything else in Scripture, in all the people we find in Scripture, the book of Judges is not about him. Let's talk about the other one involved in this story. The one the writer calls the angel of the Lord who would appear. We have to stop for a moment and understand in our culture, in English language, most people hear the word angel and they think of basically Gabriel or Michael. And sometimes scripture does refer to that type of angel. But the word angel in Hebrew and in Greek simply means messenger. So sometimes the word angel refers to such as Gabriel who would speak to Mary. Other times, though, angel is a messenger who is simply a human who's bringing a prophecy or a word from the Lord. At other times, that word angel is used to describe what may be one who is indescribable but divine. Notice here what happens next, Judges 13.6. The woman went to her husband and said, A man of God came to me. His appearance was like the angel of God. Exceedingly awesome. Of whom can this truly be said? I saw one. He spoke to me. This man of God. This angel of God. His appearance was exceedingly awesome. Go down a few verses. Verse 17, the husband shows up and we're told Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? 
so we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is wonderful. The rest of Isaiah's words, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Who does this man speak? The eunuch asked. Of himself or someone else? And Isaiah proclaimed, I saw him high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And here in Judges, the wife says, I see him exceedingly awesome. And then the husband says, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? It is wonderful. This appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Why at this time? Well, he also appears at different moments in Scripture. Another big appearance was he appeared to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, who believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness, Christ appears to him and proclaims that you will have a child when it seemed to be impossible and really was impossible. But he proclaimed it and Abraham believed it. A special birth foreshadowing the true birth that mattered most in that first century there in Bethlehem. And here he appears again in Judges. And why? Well, Judges is one of the darkest times in history. The book itself is filled with tremendous darkness. And Jesus appears in that darkness to remind people of the light, to bring the light, a continued theme throughout the Old Testament, appearing when things seem the worst, to remind people of God's best, to remind people that there's a reversal that was coming from the fall in the garden to a restoration fulfilled in Christ. That wording there where he says, my name is wonderful, translators have used different words and each of them are appropriate. But here's a few examples. The King James says, my name is secret because the name has not yet been given that he's going to be known by. The Berean translation says, my name is beyond comprehension. English standard, my name is wonderful. And the NIV reads, my name is beyond understanding with a footnote or wonderful. As we worship and celebrate the life we have in Christ and the message delivered once for all, promised to us through the prophets, the writings, the angels, the proclamations that here is the one, the someone else. So when we come into our own times of prayers, our own times of needs, may we recognize a little bit more deeply beyond the Christmas nativity scenes and the message of the angel to see the deeper proclamation. The Son is given and His name is wonderful. He is holy, holy, holy. Beyond understanding. Yet He loves us, and He is Emmanuel, God, with us. As John would say in chapter 1, 
in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And the proclamation then would be given there to a young couple in Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 1, where they're told Mary will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so it is that name that the gospel writers and Paul would proclaim to which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And Christ Himself appearing in the Old Testament to bring the light, just as He appeared in that first century born in Bethlehem when the Word became flesh. He appears in our darkness to bring us light. And it's that name no longer secret, but which we proclaim and live our lives to celebrate the name Jesus, which means God saves. So whatever prayers you have, whatever prayers I have at this end of the year, moving forward into the year that lies before us, I pray that a sense of the majesty of Scripture painting in words who Christ is captures our hearts. And we can say, you know what? He is that someone else. He is that promised one. He is that one who is holy, holy, holy. He is that one whose name is wonderful. He is that one beyond understanding, but who's told us in his name, we can do all things. And we're set free indeed. Because no matter how great the darkness, he is the light that lighteth the heart of all men. So let us enter in to this promise, into this hope. Proclaiming truly, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us.
has not only come close to us, but that he's indeed with us. So what if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Today, now, with us. The manger proclaims that the very presence of God is now present with us. In the mundane, in the uncertainty, in the mystery that lies beyond our understanding or explanation. God himself is with us in our joy and our happiness. He's with us in our sadness and our brokenness. He celebrates in the light with us. And he holds us in the dark with faithful and secure arms. What if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Christmas not only begs that we ask that question, but also provides the answer that our hearts have been longing for all along. Can this possibly be? Yes, it can. And it is God with us, Emmanuel, and he's closer than our wildest dreams can ever imagine. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel.